It's the Post-Traumatic Faith Podcast with your host, Jill Riley. On this podcast, Jill explores what faith can look like after trauma. Hi, I'm Jill Riley. I am an author and a minister. I am also a trauma survivor and live with complex PTSD, depression, anxiety, and a dissociative disorder. My prayer is that post-traumatic faith will bring you hope and joy in your own journey. Welcome to Post-Traumatic Faith. This is Jill Riley, and today it is our honor to have Rob Brown with us. Good morning, Rob. Good morning. Great to be with you. It, I was just telling Rob before we started here that you have you have a voice for radio. You should go into the broadcasting business. Well, you know, there's um, still time left. Maybe, uh, maybe I will. I need to uh, put my book on audio. That's the, one of the next uh, steps in the process. So maybe I'll just do it myself. Great. Which, you know, that's a much better compliment than somebody telling you you have a face for radio, right? <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, um, <laughs> I, I made sure that I listened carefully to what you were saying. Uh, I, I didn't want to uh, take an insult the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I try to make sure that those are that those are uh, pretty pretty direct. <laughs> now I don't, I try not to insult people, especially on the air. So let me tell you a little bit about Rob. Rob has spent most of his career in the financial services industry as a top producing advisor, as well as in several senior leadership roles. Now as a business coach, Rob helps his clients achieve excellence while living more purpose-filled lives. Rob is a devoted husband and father to triplet girls and a lifelong Cleveland Indians fan. Truest Fan is a story about turning the simple lessons we learn from baseball, loving God and others into a way of living each and every day and encourages others to do the, do the same. And Truest Fan is your book. When did you publish your book, Rob? It came out uh, April 1st of this year, April 1st of 2021. That's exciting. How long did it take you to write? Um, it took me about a year from um, from conception to um, getting it um, getting it getting it published. Yeah, that's it. that's really exciting. So, big question: How do you feel about the Cleveland Indians' new name? Well, um, as someone who was born and raised a Cleveland Indians fan, um, I am disappointed. Um, I understand the reasons why, and I know that. There are differences of opinion, but um, I believe that the Indian's name is an honorable name and we could have stuck with it and we would have been okay. Uh, but um, because I am a loyal Cleveland baseball fan more than anything else, I'm you sure will be a I, Guardians will be, fan. I will be a Guardians fan um, nonetheless. Well, look at it this way. It makes all your memorabilia nostalgic and um, collectible worthy, right? I wear it out, so it'll it'll <laughs> it'll never be collectible, and uh, it only means I'll have to buy more, most likely. So it's so it's, I'll it's show probably you. an expense, not a not an investment. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I was trying to help you out there. Thank well, it's, you. Um, I uh, will show my ignorance of of baseball here. When was the last time the uh, Indians made it to a series? Last time they made it to a series was 2016. Unfortunately, we did not win that World Series. That's why most people in Cleveland don't like people in Chicago because they're Cubs fans. Ah. That's what we lost to. And the last time we won the World Series was well before I was born in 1948. So that is one of the um, uh, measures of being a truest fan. If you can be a fan of a baseball team that has never won a World Series in your lifetime. You're probably stuck. 
Well, you are as long suffering as my husband is, who is a Mariners fan, who also Although, have a disparaging record in that department. <laughs> yes, they they do, but um, their team has been around what's maybe since the nineteen. 19- 80s or 70s, the Indians have been around since the early 1900s. So um, there's a there's a longer history. Um, although we did have some we did have some World Series early on, so I, I guess we could we could argue that point uh, sometime. Yeah. I, I look forward to meeting your husband and having that debate. Yes, that would that would be a good debate. He uh, he is a longtime baseball fan, and um, as I've as I've looked through your information and after we talked, I thought, oh, I shouldn't be doing this interview. Kyle should be doing this interview because he just loves all thing base all things baseball. And when we got married, there was baseball on the radio and on the TV, and there was Sports Illustrated, and then there was I mean all this stuff. And I wasn't raised in a sports family, and I thought, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with this? <laughs> Well, it's only part of the story, but it's it um, it's one of the linchpins, I think, that make the truest fan um, concept and idea a little bit unique because it adds that little twist of being a sports fan, being a fan of the Indians um, into the loop. Yep. Very good. Very good. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself, something that wasn't mentioned in the bio that was mostly business stuff. Tell us about yourself. Well, um, I was born and raised in, in Cleveland, Ohio, and I moved to um, Williamsburg, Virginia when I was 16 back in 1977. So I've been in Virginia a long time, um, and I am the father of triplet daughters. I'm not sure that you mentioned that in the, um, in the bio, um, but that is probably something that's um, on my mind a lot um, right now because wow. it's the start of school, and that's when I think a lot about my girls and all those great years that um, they lived at home. And uh, how old are they now? They're 31. That's so exciting. So uh, do they all live around you? Yes, we're, we're fortunate. When they first finished college, we had a Chicago daughter, a Houston daughter, um, and a, um, a Columbus, Ohio daughter. And oh, wow. now we have two, uh, all, all three of them are within uh, two, three hours of us with one living just um, about 15 minutes away. So all relatively close to home. So we're, we're, we're blessed. That's great. So is she the favorite daughter since she lives closer to home? Um, sometimes, sometimes <laughs> when like I, I need her help, she's my favorite daughter because she's right there and I can get it. Uh, other times she needs my help and um, maybe I'm not quite so ready to uh, to give it. So So, it comes and goes. So tell me this, what is that moment like when you find out you're going to be a dad of triplets? Well, actually, let me take that back uh, a step. So of course we found out my wife was pregnant and had no idea that there was more than one. And then the next month we went back to the doctor because she was having some difficulties and we found out it was two. Um, and then the next month we went back to the doctor for another test. And as they're doing the ultrasound, somebody, um, in the um, testing room holds up, um, two fingers or I'm sorry, three fingers, um, across the room kind of signaling to the, to the doctor. And, uh, I just looked up and said, um, I may not be smart, but I know three is more than two. So that's when we found out there were three. And then we just didn't go back to the doctor the next month because we didn't want to take a chance of there being. Um, <laughs> you just kind of skip one. that. <laughs> That's fun. So how big were they when they were born? 
Um, two of them were about three and a half pounds, and um, Alston, the uh, smallest, was about a pound and 10 ounces. Wow. So amazing. What a gift from God. That is just, absolutely. That is crazy. That's great. Well, um, I just had um, some questions kind of going back a little bit in your history to kind of give us some get to know you. Um, what was your uh, faith background like growing up? So um, growing up in Cleveland, um, I grew up in an Irish Catholic neighborhood where I could walk to the local um, Catholic school, the parochial school, Our Lady of the Angels. And in fact, I could walk home for lunch. That's how close uh, we lived to the school. So I grew up Catholic. I loved going to church. Um, I couldn't wait to go off to the local um, Catholic high school, um, St. Ignatius. And then we moved to to Williamsburg, um, my parents immediately enrolled us in a Catholic school here. So I was really um, attached to the Catholic church through both just loving to go to church on Sunday and the extra worship that we did through the fact that we were in Catholic schools. And then, of course, I went off to college and um, that's when um, my faith life, um, I don't want to say it stopped, uh, but uh, I stopped uh, actively practicing my faith. And um, it's one of the other blessings of having our daughters is we decided, my wife Lori and I decided that um, the faith that we gained through growing up in the church was way too important not to take it seriously from as early on Mm -hmm. as we possibly could. And she was a Southern Baptist and I was a Catholic. So we um, kind of um, uh, averaged it all together and joined a Presbyterian church, uh, which we, um, until this past year, have been members of uh, for a long, long time. And that's how we raised our daughters and really um, gained an even further deeper connection to God and learning how to love him and serve him. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, uh, going from being Catholic to being Presbyterian, what was the biggest uh, change or growth factor or, um, uh, yeah, what was the biggest change for you? Um, you know, I think the the biggest change for me wasn't really a change. It was the fact that we were wanted to raise our daughters in that church. So we really felt like we need to get reconnected to our faith. And we it was obvious that there were things that were different about the faith um, traditions. You know, the Presbyterian tradition is a very welcoming tradition. If you say that you love Jesus Christ, you you can be a Presbyterian. To be a Catholic, mm-hmm. <laughs> there can be a whole lot of of extra steps. So we, we were aware of that. Um, but one, one thing that I remember is when uh, one of the pastors from the church visited our home, we were considering joining the Presbyterian church. Um, a question that I asked him related to um, the Apostles' Creed, which we say every Sunday. And in the Presbyterian church, we say the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. And of course, right. growing up Catholic, um, that meant one thing. Uh, but growing up, in a Presbyterian church, that meant something altogether. And that just gave me a deeper understanding of church. Um, I've always believed and and worked in situations where people of different faiths, even non-Christian faiths can work um, together for the good. So um, it just became um, a sort of uh, a natural transition, especially as we were trying to get our daughters to um, understand how important it was to, uh, to know God and all there was to the, the, all, all, what it means to be uh, a Christian. 
Right. Well, and that um, Catholic big C versus Catholic little C uh, distinction can be confusing to a lot of people. But, you know, when you're talking about Catholic, you're talking about, you know, the worldwide church and and uh, and not necessarily just the just the Catholicism itself. And so that distinction can be can be um, confusing to some. So um, so you are an executive coach to financial advice. What interested you in that that movement to coaching from just being a financial advisor? And I don't so, mean just in a derogatory term. That didn't come out right. No, I no, mean I, being I a financial I, advisor to being a coach. I, 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 I didn't take that way. If you said just Cleveland Indians, then I might have taken it the <laughs> wrong way. But, um, no, um, I, I spent about 25 years as a financial advisor having uh, clients um, that my team and I worked with to help them uh, with their investments and with their financial planning process. So um, I did that for a number of years. And while I was doing that during the, the latter part of those years, um, I was also helping run a firm that had 250 other advisors. So I had my own clients and then I had um, had these cats that I was herding who had all of their own clients. And um, when I really stepped back um, and thought about the things that I was doing, what I was best at, what I enjoyed most, it was coaching and mentoring advisors. So um, when the time came to say, you know, I need to just decide what one thing that I really want to do, um, it it was coaching. Uh, And and that's how I started uh, my coaching firm back in 2002. What is most gratifying to you about coaching? Um, seeing other people succeed. Um, I, mm-hmm. There's nothing more fun than um, like just a couple of weeks ago, I was with a client um, doing an on-site visit and uh, we went and looked at the history of our working together. And in the time that we've worked together, um, their gr- business has grown by four times. That's been over the course of about wow. four years. So. Um, I look at that growth and I know that I'm a part of that. And, and that is uh, something that I'm very proud of, but, but it's not always just growth. Sometimes um, it's the personal development. As I talk to some of my clients and they've gone from being uh, maybe uh, running businesses that were focused all on them, everything was about them. Um, it was kind of more ego driven, not necessarily bad egos, but just more ego driven. And now they have these teams their businesses are growing. They're having greater impact on more clients. They're having greater impact on their families and in their and in their communities and the cause they care about. I just um, I, I own some of that, and um, um, and I don't say that in an, in an egotistical way myself. But it's just fun being part of winning teams. Right, and their wins become your wins, and Absolutely. there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of good good feeling pride that comes that comes with that. Absolutely. So when um, and why did you decide to write Truest Fan? So um, I actually decided to write Truest Fan probably back in the early 80s um, and not the, the title of the book Truest Fan, but um, I had been given a copy of a book, um, The One Minute Manager, which is yep. by Ken Blanchard. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, a, it's a quick read. It's a, it's a fable. Um, I just love that style of, of of writing and reading and learning. And I told it's myself, kind of the grandfather of those business allegory books, right? 
I mean, that's the way that I think about it, but, but there could be some that go, um, before him, but, but yes, for sure. It's, it's, it's a classic. And, um, I read a number of his books and other people's books through the years, but it was that point in time that I read that I said, one day I'm going to write that book. So that's when I really decided uh, to write uh, truest fan. Um, but, um, I guess it was about two years ago. Um, I was introduced to a book coach, somebody who helps people write books and I said, you know, this is um, my season for writing a book. And I don't know exactly what it's going to be. And I really want it to be a fable style book. And I actually, and I'd actually written another book, but it's, um, it's called Delivering the Ultimate Client Experience. It's more of a, a how-to book for financial advisors on how to give service. And I said, but I don't want to do that again. I don't necessarily want this book to be a book that's exclusively uh, for my audience, I want to I want to try to write that fable, and I want to pull something out that I know is inside of me that I want other people to to understand about um, uh, what I believe in terms of the right way um, to live. And so it was it was kind of through that combination of things that um, Truest Fan became a project, and um, and I I'm happy to say, very proud to say, I got it done. What made it feel like this was the right season to write? I think it was um, because I was I was thinking about some of the the things that were going on in my life with my family, with my clients, and um, I just felt like it's really important that we make sure that we um, share and give our story and what we believe you know, to our kids and to our grandkids. And um, I just, I just felt like that was, um, and, 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 you know, I was getting ready to, I turned 60 this year um, and I was getting ready to turn 60, maybe feeling a little bit older. It just felt like um, the right time. Um, and, and I'd also say that um, it was one of those God things. It was that um, mm-hmm. and maybe, and maybe, and maybe that was the the predominant thing now that I'm saying it, you know, God tugs us sometimes to, stretch ourselves and do different things. And we don't know why. And um, so I'm, I know that was part of that, um, that decision-making process. Right. And in his, uh, in his sovereignty and foreknowledge knows what seasons we're in. And, and I think when he prompts us to do things, um, it behooves us to, to answer that call. So open the pages for me a little bit and talk to me about the seven truest fan principles. Who is this book written for, Rob? So um, this book is really written for anybody. Um, but some people ask me, well, Rob, you've written stuff. You've been coaching financial advisors for years or written for financial advisors. Um, the answer is absolutely yes. These lessons come from things that I have learned as I've coached um, financial advisors. Um, uh, but I, I find it uh, probably most is for people who are looking for that little something extra that connects them to um, their family, to God, uh, to their friends, to, to have greater belief in themselves. They're just looking for something um, that will help them live more authentically, more intentionally. Um, and, and so many people, I think, are um, are just are just wondering, you know, how, what is it like, you know, to be authentic? What is it like to live in, intentionally? And you know, that sounds, you know, transformation sounds like this huge thing that 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 you that 
you'll never accomplish, but transformation can happen in little ways. So, um, so it's, it's for that person that's looking for that little nudge to be a better version of themselves. Okay. So again, open the pages a little bit and talk to us about the seven truest fans principles. What, what, what are those and what are we looking for here? Right. So uh, the first lesson is uh, to be a truest fan, you must be your own truest fan. Um, and I think it's just so important that we believe in ourselves. We have self-belief mm-hmm. so that as we move forward to do all of the things that we do in our lives, that we can do it from a point of strength if we have a greater belief um, in ourselves. Um, then the, um, the second letter, lesson of being a truest fan is that you must learn to put your most important work first and avoid anything that gets in the way. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sure that y- your audience, you can relate to that because we all have stuff flying at us, you know, right. whether it's little things popping up day to day on our to-do lists or bigger things that get in the way of our work or our family or the things that we're doing out in the world. And, um, and it's important to understand what is most important, especially what is most important right now and work on the thing that's most important right now, knowing that those other important things, uh, when they are important, um, will, uh, will come along. Good. Uh, um, the third lesson of being a, a truest fan is love one another, because no matter whether you win or lose, life is about the way that you play the game. Mm-hmm. And um, um, we've all heard that lesson before. You know, all, none right. of the lessons in truest fan are unique in and of themselves. I think maybe what's unique is the way that they come together, okay. uh, but the importance of just loving others unconditionally, um, not um, being judgmental, just, just, just being honest and open and loving other people that opens up um, yeah. our, our lives. Um, lesson four is smiles and kind words go a long way. Uh, mm-hmm. When you're a truest fan, you're always on duty. Um, I just believe in the power of the smile. I don't like walking down the streets um, and people look in the opposite direction and don't at least nod and say hello. Um, I believe right. it's important that we find ways to make people that we know smile, maybe people that we have um, lost a little bit of touch with, or we know are going through a tough time, giving them a quick phone call, stopping by their house, sending them a text message, whatever it is, just the idea of making people smile, I think is really um, central to being a truest fan. And I think that's a really timely message too, Rob, in that the season that we're in right now, I think that little extra kindness just goes a long way because we don't know what people are going through, but we know that we're all going through this, this extremely stressful pandemic season and, and people are hungry for some kind of human kindness and connection in my belief. No, I, I think that is um, that's absolutely true, um, and and there's just there's just so much noise out there today. There is, and um, and and I think a smile, just making somebody feel better about themselves, letting them know that you care about them, um, is just is just a way to cut um, cut through that. And it's a gift that reciprocates, right? I mean, as you as you offer kindness and and a smile to somebody else, it comes back to you and and uh, helps brighten your your outlook and mood, also. Yeah, no, I think I think that's absolutely true. It's very rare that you smile at somebody that you um, get something back that you didn't you didn't want. But um, I guess <laughs> I guess it can happen. It can but, happen. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> All um, right. What's the next one? Uh, the fifth lesson is uh, your family deserves your very best. So if you're going to be a uh, truest fan to yourself and to the the world at large, you better better not forget those uh, people who are at home. So um, your family deserves your best. Uh, very best is the fifth lesson. Uh, number six is uh, don't forget you're never alone. Um, God is your truest fan. Um, and, and some people have said to me, well, Rob, shouldn't you put God first. And I said, well, I think God's okay being number six in my lessons as long as we don't uh, forget him, that he is mm-hmm. the connector of, of everything that it means uh, or everything that is um, about loving, um, loving ourselves and, and loving others as we love ourselves. And I then the final- there's a theological uh, truth embedded in that, that many people uh, don't necessarily feel like God is for them. They feel like God is above them or judging or, um, or off to the side somewhere, but to get that real integral feeling of that God is for us and is on our side and is championing for our, um, for our faith and championing for our, our, our joy and peace uh, is kind of a foreign concept to some people. Yeah, it, it can be. And so I think sometimes making that the first step can be harder um, than it actually is. But um, so maybe to, to and I think that's how, why the book came out um, the way that it did. I, you know, I didn't when I wrote the book, um, I just started telling a story and um, I knew the elements that were going to be in the book, but I didn't know what order they were going to come in because I tell the book as a fable. So you're walking through this journey with um, a character, um, Brownie, who um, just goes, meets all of these truest fans who are teaching him the truest fan lessons one at a time, and they're kind of cool. weaving it together. And, um, and so that's um, part of the other reason that sometimes um, I, I know that it's in the right place, because um, I, I really feel like the, the, the book has been a blessing uh, to me from God. And then the final lesson really just brings it all together. Lesson seven is intentionally live the life you were um, intended to live or you were born to live. You know, sometimes we can walk around and just, you know, do things um, uh, on autopilot. And, um, and I don't think, I don't think that's how we're supposed to, I think we're supposed to be really intentional about um, uh, who we are and who we serve and, and what we do. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. So what I hear you saying is that these, these principles are not necessarily linear. They're more, they all stand on e- e- even footing and, and uh, it's not necessarily a one through seven and a prioritized list, right? No, it, it absolutely isn't. And um, as people have read the books, that's book, that's one of the things that's, that's kind of echoed to me loud and clear is they've read the book um, and maybe, you know, they, re- they read the first, you know, few lessons and, you know, it was, they liked the story. They wanted to read it to the end, but nothing was really grabbing them. And then all of a sudden, boom, lesson four pops out and they're like, wow, I'm really glad I read the book because I really needed that right now. And that's mm-hmm. uh, when I think the book is doing and the, and the message is doing what it's supposed to be doing is it's just striking people where they are um, in the moment, in the relationships that they have where they're called upon to be a truest fan. For you, do you find that one of these principles is more challenging for you to uh, give and receive than another? Yes. Um, um, Funny enough, 
or maybe not funny enough, but um, it's it's the it's the family part right now for me. Um, my wife is actually going through some health challenges, and mm-hmm. she's going to be okay. Um, but I have caught myself um, as we've been dealing with this over the course of months, um, um, getting tired and maybe failing in my attentiveness to her and letting her know that I am her truest fan. I mean, she knows how much I love her and she knows um, that uh, I'm her truest fan, but I haven't necessarily stopped and made sure that I let her know that um, and, mm-hmm. and, and make it abundantly clear. So, so for me personally right now, that's the lesson I'm working the hardest on um, because it's, it's, it's important to um, it's just important to what's going on in my life today. Do you think it's more difficult or easier to prioritize your significant other when you have a bunch of kids in the house? I think it's harder to prioritize your spouse when you have a bunch of kids in the house. And I think um, actually my wife, Lori, and I learned that as our, you know, the the one nice thing about um, having triplets is we kind of go through all of the bad things that kids can do in life all at the same time. It's a little bit like, you know, a pig and a python. Um, but, um, but the good things go fast too. So when they, you know, finished um, college and, you know, that, that um, seasonality of having kids in school and the rhythm of life that comes with that went away, um, we, we found out very quickly that maybe we weren't as prepared for that as we, thought we uh, we should be yeah well we're just uh I, I need i need to read the book because uh we are just heading into that season we just married off our two youngest this summer six weeks apart from each other and everybody is launched and on their way so well congratulations but it is it is a challenging time and 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 they now have um their other priorities right um because mm-hmm. i'm sure you and your husband bless their marriages and so you're sending them off and yeah. know that they're going to have to spend more time with somebody else and uh and and you just have to find your way to um weave into that and not let that yep. be um an obstacle definitely so uh you mentioned your wife and you shared with me that your wife has gone through cancer before um how did some of these truest fan principles apply to that journey that you guys walked together you know, when I think back about that, and that's actually um, one of the, 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 the book is a fable, but there are elements of the book that are drawn from, um, from my life and my, my wife with my life. And that's probably the most specific story that I, that's in the book that um, is, is directly related to something that happened um, to us. And um, when I think about that period of my life and these truest fan lessons. Um, I just, I just know how important we made it to, um, uh, be there for each other, to be open and honest with each other, to love each other as much as we possibly could. Our our girls uh, were around then. So we also needed to make sure that they understood that, um, uh, we were there for them and they needed to witness how we took care of each other because she was taking care of me through her cancer just as much as I was taking care of her, maybe, you know, maybe even more so. Um, and then um, the other thing was just knowing that God was there. And, and I, 
I had no doubt. I had no doubt we were going to come through that period of time uh, with a positive diagnosis. I didn't know if we would go through some you know, greater lows than we ended up going through, or if there were going to be, it was going to take longer. I had no expectation on time, but I was confident that, that God was, was with us through that. So when I think about, you know, the, the family aspect of being a truest fan, the God aspect of being a truest fan and being really intentional about living that way. Um, those are the lessons, um, that come out of that, um, um, that, that time in our lives. Can I ask what kind of cancer she had? She had breast cancer. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm happy to hear that she is, that she has come through that and that you guys have come through that together. Um, I think those, it's really easy to lose yourself in the midst of a catastrophic uh, circumstance. And it's easy to lose sight of what, what is grounding and what keeps you the most focused. We have a daughter who was diagnosed with cancer at the age of two and that whole, you know, our world just kind of exploded and, and you need some anchors in your life to really kind of hold you down. And it sounds like these principles for you are anchors that um, have kind of defined themselves as, and worked themselves out as you've gone. Yeah. And that's, and that's where I, where I really, um, you know, feel um, that the, the way that I was growing up in, in, in my faith um, just, it just came, you know, blossoming out. Um, mm-hmm. even though maybe there were times when I, um, when I pushed, pushed it back a little bit. And, you know, the, the other thing that was going on at the time is it wasn't that much, that many years prior that I lost my mother to breast cancer. So mm. of course, um, you can't help, but think about, um, that outcome, but we just decided that, um, this wasn't going to, to beat us. Um, and that, we knew that if we prayed and if we um, relied on God and each other and took care of our little girls, that, um, that everything would be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So I want to take a um, little side trip here. I noticed in um, our conversation uh, before you mentioned working in a maximum security prison, um, doing some work there. And I was just wondering if you could describe a little bit of your work there and what, what is gratifying about that for you? Sure. So um, I'm part of a of an international prison ministry called Kairos, um, and Kairos um, takes um, men and women volunteers into prisons of all types um, and helps um, share the the love of God. And um, in my case, I'm on a team that goes into a maximum security prison here in Virginia. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to get in there in quite some time, and and with everything going on. We're not sure when we'll get back, but um, that has been um, a, a, a defining moment in my life too, because I can have um, a big ego and I can take on, um, on, take on my faith in a way that I make it about me and not about God. Um, but one of the things that we learn as we get ready to go into the principle is um, don't go in there trying to use your brilliance and your arguments for being a Christian. Um, don't try to, 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 you know, manhandle Christianity and try to convert people. Just be there to listen and love. Our, our motto is listen, listen, love, love, and just be a reflection of what God wants these men to, to hear and to learn. And 
when you spend, um, what, one of the programs we do is four days long. We go in for four straight days to go through a program. We leave at night. We don't spend the night um, in the prison. And we watch what happens over the four days. And you see um, struggling Christians become stronger in their faith. You, you see people who are, who are not um, Christian um, and, and openly say that they only came there because they're going to get fed well while we're with them. Um, um, change their mind. And you just see God at work through this activity that we go through. And mm-hmm. um, it just reminds me how important it is not to make uh, that we're, we are made in the image of God. God is not made in the image of us. And if we carry that around, if we help carry around his image and let that bounce off of us, reflect from us or show through us, however you want to say it, um, then um, we're doing, we're doing what, what God wants us to do. Would you say that's the thing that um, that you've learned the most during that work, or is there something else that you would say has been the most impactful on you? No, that's, that's absolutely the thing that I've learned um, the most. There, there are lots of other things that go on um, around that, um, but but there is no doubt um, when you just when you just I mean just think about the power of that that idea of going into any situation where you might not be sure what's going on. Like, you know, like, I mean, one of my favorite stories about going into the prison was we have to um, greet people the first time we get there. And we know that um, there's going to be a number of them sitting at table with us through the whole weekend. And I can remember as I was greeting this one group, I saw this one guy. I'm like, I hope that guy doesn't end up at my table. I hope that guy doesn't end up at my table and bam, he is sitting right next to me at my table. And um, I learned so much from him by listening to him exploring this, uh, this love that we were sharing, which is something that was just very, very um, foreign to him. So um, just, just, just when you go into a situation and just say, I'm going to listen and I'm going to love, I'm going to listen, I'm going to love that just, that just makes a huge difference in, in, in just about any situation. Well, I think if we go into new situations and new relationships postured as a learner, right, that we want to uh, learn from each other, it helps us to keep our attitudes and egos in check quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's um, I, I, Most of us, I think, um, can't help but learn if we really listen, you know, um, and I think that's um, that's critical. Yeah. So if you could summarize down to one thing, um, maybe imagine talking to your to your daughters, what's one thing that you would most like people to learn from your life this far? You know, I think it's it is the lesson of Truest Fan. Actually, Truest Fan is dedicated to my daughters because it is something that I want them to carry forward. And it's and it's just the idea that if we take the time to be truest fans of other people, love, love everybody um, um, in, in, in any situation. And sometimes it's harder than others, but if we can just remember to start with that love that God has given us to be able to share with other people, that everything that we do in life becomes a lot easier. When we think about some of the crazy stuff going on in the world today, if we met it first by being a truest fan, by loving other people, injecting love into the conversation, we'd be able to have um, more even-handed conversations and be able to figure stuff out. 
Excellent. Well, thank you so much for sharing today. Tell us uh, how we can get a hold of Truest Fan and how we can follow what's going on with you. Okay. Um, well, the best way to keep up with me is to just go to truestfan.com and um, it'll tell you all about my book and the different ways that you can connect with me on social media. Um, I do have one special request for everybody listening to this podcast. It's to buy three copies of Truest Fan. And there's a reason for that. I think when you read it, you are going to find that one or maybe more messages that will really strike home and you want to keep that copy of the book for you so you can go back and read it over and over again. On the second copy, though, give it away. Find somebody in your network that needs a pick-me-up, that needs a smile, and give them a copy of Truest Fan. And then keep a copy of Truest Fan handy for a stranger. Maybe carry it in your uh, suitcase when you're traveling. I gave a copy to uh, 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 the desk, the front desk clerk at a hotel I stayed in a couple of months ago. She just looked like she needed to pick me up, and I brightened her day by giving her a copy of the book. So keep a po- copy to give to a stranger. So that way, I think that the message really mm, resonates. It's about um, keeping, giving, and sharing, whether it's with people that you know or people that you don't know. So just go through his fan dot com and, and give it a try. Great. Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and I appreciate your investment of time with me and to post-traumatic faith. And I've loved hearing you, hearing you talk about the book. Well, I, I really appreciate your having me on and sharing, um, letting me share my story with your audience. I think you do a great job and I am certainly your truest fan. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts today. You can follow Jill on social media on Facebook and Instagram, JillRiley.author, and on Twitter, JillRileyAuthor. Email Jill at JillRiley.org.